Welcome to Inside the Road, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. I'm your host, David Clark, and in this episode, I'm speaking with Anthony, or Ant Millet, a partner of the Australian business of Antler, the venture capital firm. We talked to Ant about their unique way of identifying and working with startup businesses and investing in very early stage disruptive technologies. Please remember that this podcast isn't designed to be specific advice. We encourage people to listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast and to also seek any advice before making investment decisions. Please keep your feedback coming through. You can reach me at david.clark at codacapital.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Ant Miller, welcome to Inside the Rope. Thanks very much for having me, David. Great to be here. And perhaps you could kick off by giving our listeners a bit of an introduction to yourself, your background, and then to Antler. Sure. So uh, I'm from London originally. Um, started my career in investment banking, uh, working on the M&A side and, and, and IPO side of a large number of technology businesses. Um, after a few years worked out, I was more inspired by my entrepreneurial clients than I was by the people up the food chain at the bank. Um, so decided to jump out quite early and have a crack at building um, an e-commerce business. <clears throat> over a um, over a five-year period, I actually joined a family business, and, which was a, a bricks and mortar sports store in Northwest London, um, which was a, a store that was about 700 square feet in size, so pretty small, with a view of turning it into something quite substantial. And over a five-year period, we uh, we turned that into a business that was. Uh, went from a half a million pounds of turnover to 35 million pounds of turnover, um, launching it into nine nine different countries, um, all online. Um, so that was a, that was a great adventure, and we ultimately ended up exiting that business to JD Sports, who are a large UK retailer listed retailer. Um, I moved over to Australia, and um, kind of once you've got the entrepreneurial bug or the entrepreneurial spirit, I think it's quite hard to lose that and didn't waste too, too long before um, I got into a new venture with a guy called Marcus Calbetza and we launched a business called BrickX, which is an online fractional property business, investing business. Um, and again, rapidly scaled that business to within a couple of years, over 12,000 investors on the platform, uh, enabling them to invest in residential property across Sydney, Melbourne, um, Perth, uh, Adelaide, um, for, for just a fraction of the entry price, you know, from a hundred bucks plus. Um, so that was a great adventure and had some awesome support from uh, some of Australia's leading VC firms. Um, and all that experience of building businesses and launching businesses and highly scalable, fast growth, uh, tech first businesses, um, combined with my, um, I guess, um, you know, Angel, angel experience or angel investing experience that I've been um, kind of building up over the last eight years um, led me to, to, to then go and become part of Antler. And Antler is a global VC where we are backing the world's best founders, uh, most entrepreneurial talent um, from the very start uh, to go and build highly scalable, ambitious global businesses. And what we do that's a little bit different from other VC firms is that we actually create our own investing deal flow by identifying these uh, this phenomenal talent as individuals 
um, in all the locations that we're in. We bring them uh, together, um, up to 100 people at a time. Um, so they all quit their jobs, quit whatever it is that they're doing, come to join us. Um, and we then spend 12 weeks helping them form really strong complementary co-founding teams and validating their ideas. And then along with the, the local VC community, we then decide which are the best opportunities and we invest in them very early on fixed valuations um, and help them scale and grow locally and then globally. So, Andrew, I'm intrigued about a couple of questions there. The first one, um, it, and we'll get into this in a moment, but it, it sounds like you're actually investing heavily in the team and the the individuals behind the venture capitalists, um, <clears throat> firms and opportunities rather than the idea it, itself. But before we delve into that, uh, as someone whose first job was in a sports store in 1987, Action North Rocks, um, and always dreamt of owning a sports store, I can't let that go. What, what was that business that uh, you scaled from that very small level up to, to sell out to JD? Yeah, so the business was called Active Instinct and Millet Sports. Um, Australia was actually the, the, the third biggest country that we exported to from, from the UK. Um, and I can tell you, growing up as a kid, having a, a, a father who owned a sports store was, was, was quite, a, a, quite a luxury and a privilege because um, you were always the envy of all your mates having all of the latest gear. Um, but it was quite interesting. I never expected to get involved in that business. And, and, and for my parents, their, their dreams were for me to go to university and obviously go and get a, get a high paid, um, fast, growth, fast growing career in, 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 in the investment banking world or in, in the city. Um, and ultimately, it was kind of um, a, a nice story to kind of come back home and take that business and do something really substantial with it, having gone out and picked up a load of skills elsewhere. Terrific. And, and BrickX, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is the concept of fractional ownership of uh, residential uh, property. So, you know, most people, if, if you're in Sydney, for instance, or Melbourne, um, your, your entry point for the most basic of properties is probably three, four hundred thousand dollars, and the average is far higher, to seven hundred to a million dollars, um, which may be out of the reach of a common or, or the average worker. Um, this is the concept of being able to own a fraction or a, unitize that and call it a brick if you'd like, um, and people can own that. Is that correct? Is that the yeah, the right absolutely. Concept? So we we would the, the 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 structure around the business was that we would go out and find. Um, properties that we felt were going to be were going to perform well over the long term, and we looked at properties in um, in 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 most of the major capital cities. Um, we would then buy them and put them into a trust, which was split into um, ten thousand units. So if we bought a property for a million dollars, a unit would cost a hundred dollars, and then investors were able to then buy um, their share of the property or the unit trust. Um, on the platform up to 5%, but as little as one unit or brick, as we called it, for $100. Mm -hmm. And all the properties are rented out, so you get your share of the monthly rental income. And as the value of the property changed, the value of your bricks changed ultimately on the site. And there, were, um, there was a functionality, or there is a functionality to be able to list your bricks for sale um, when you want to exit that investment. So we bought components of um, liquidity or liquidity opportunities to the platform that didn't don't typically invest within residential real estate. Um, what, what, was, what was quite interesting is that the, the customer base or the client base was, was quite diverse. You had everything from 
those who wanted to save for a house um, or who want to save for a house and save in line with the property market and they are now able to invest in the asset class that has often been running away from them um, to SSF investors who um, you know have got three four hundred grand that they want to put into residential property but actually you know the options are you come onto a platform like BrickX where you can actually diversify that across a number of different properties um, or you do it in, you know, or you, or you spend three, four hundred grand on what would be an entry level property in, in one of the regions that may not be as high performing and you're exposed to one asset. So a lot of um, quite sophisticated investors using the platform as well to manage risk. Terrific. OK, back on the focus of Antler. So am I right in thinking that Antler really identifies the talent and spends a lot of time nurturing the talent rather than necessarily trawling for the next big idea or the next slide deck with an idea. Um, can you talk me how, how that, how that works? Yeah, we're, 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 the idea is incredibly important, but we know that the ideas will evolve and pivot and move. Um, and we're, and we're in a pretty interesting, we're in a pretty interesting time now where we're seeing the convergence of four very powerful and observable trends. Um, you've got the end of a 40-year cycle of falling interest rates. Um, the, the undertaking post-GFC of the biggest economic experiment in history in terms of central banks and quantitative easing. And of course, current situations are, <laughs> are, are adding only you know, in exponentially to that. You've got a, a decade of quantum leaps in terms of cloud computing um, and, and software as well. And you've got finally a, a younger generation arriving into the workforce with record levels of student debt facing real estate prices of four times what they were 25 years ago. And our view on this is that this is going to necessarily bring with it tremendous change and disruption, which has only been, we feel, accelerated by COVID. Um, and much of that is going to be at the expense of incumbent business models. Um, and so when we talk about the ideas and we talk about the people, it really is that, you know, the, the, the su successful companies are a function of having phenomenal founding teams that are able to execute and build these companies, especially in the earlier stages. And so when we're looking at the ideas and we're working with these teams and validating the ideas, it's a prerequisite that you've got to have a great idea with a great market opportunity, um, a clear idea of how you think you're going to execute against that and what is your edge but there is no substitute for having the right co-founding team with the right amount of tenacity uh, determination drive resilience and grit to be able to execute that and you know when they do hit a hurdle or a brick wall to be able to either smash through that wall or pivot and go around it rather than uh, rather than give up so where, where we're able to where, where Antler really um, I guess comes into its own is that we're working with um, a phenomenally large number of entrepreneurs. We're getting about 50,000 applications a year to our programs around the world. Um, in Sydney, where we, where we run this, um, we're getting about 3,000 applications every six months and we're taking the top 100 people. And we then work really closely with them for a period of 10 to 12 weeks before we make any kind of investment decision so that we can attest to, are these the kinds of people that are gonna relentlessly pursue this goal, irrespective of the challenges that they come about? 
And I think that, that that is something, that level of due diligence, that 200 hours on average that we spend with each individual and each team is something that's quite, quite um, you know, unheard of at the level that we're operating at. And we're doing this in, in huge volume. So in, in Sydney alone, over the next four years, we'll be investing in four, um, sorry, over four years, we'll be investing in 150 companies. But everything that we're doing here, which is a pretty mammoth operation, we're also doing in Singapore, London, Oslo, Amsterdam, Stockholm, New York, Nairobi, Sao Paulo, Berlin, Bangalore, and Beijing. Um, and we're one global VC that is ultimately is the world's largest company generator. Wow. And, and, and what is the criteria that you're using when you're judging those individuals? What does it typically look like? Or what are the, some of the main points you're looking for? Are you looking for people who have had startups in the past or uh, come from a business background or, or, or what some of the talk us through their, your measurement process? Sure. So, so coming into the program, we hire broadly across three different um, segments. So one is technology. We're, we're, we're predominantly investing in, in technology businesses. Most of them are software businesses, but predominantly um, technology businesses. Um, and so about 40% of our cohort are the builders, the, the people with deep technical experience that are capable to build, but also lead a team. Um, about 30% of them are domain experts, and they're people that are coming out of industry where they've seen a, a lifelong problem that hasn't been solved. And you know that, that itch that they need to scratch has now just become too, too big an itch, and they're ready to go and do something about it. So we see a lot of people coming from uh, construction and insurance and cybersecurity, um, the fintech world, uh, medical world, et cetera, to come in and build businesses with us. And then we've got the commercial people who um, the majority of them have founded businesses before and actually had exits before and quite sizable exits. I know there's a few people in the current cohort that have had an exit in excess of $30 million before. And when we're looking at them, you know, so that's all their experience and their CV. We really want to hear about um, why do they think they're going to be a successful entrepreneur? What is it? Why is it important to them that they're successful? successful? What drives them? Um, what challenges have they previously overcome? Um, one question I love asking through the interview process is what, what is your superpower? What is it that you're really good at? And why was it so important to you that you became really good at that? And you can really start to get under the skin of what motivates these people. That then just gets their foot into the door to start building companies with us. And then it is watching them for 12 weeks in terms of how they behave, how they respond to feedback, how they pivot, how hungry are they? How quickly are they moving through the program? Um, their decision-making um, capacity um, and various other things that you would, you would be looking for whether, when you were gonna back um, entrepreneurs. And, and do they come to you with the idea for the company or the business, or do you identify the talent and then find the business or opportunity to put them in? So, so, so most people that come to us come with um, one to five ideas at varying levels of um, progression and, and deep thought behind them. And what we say to everyone coming into our program is um, come into the program, explore your idea, leveraging um, the advisor, the, the group around you, the other people in the cohort who are, who are deeply experienced on average over 10 years of work experience. Um, the Antler team, our mentors and investors, we've now got close to 200 investors in our, in our Australia fund. Um, 
and, and, and go and pursue your ideas, but be open-minded and be prepared that if you see something that's better than your own idea, be prepared to drop your idea and jump onto that. And the people that, that are generally coming into us are, you know, they're, they're partners from large consulting firms as much as they're people who've built two startups before. It's really diverse. But the one thing that's kind of quite, quite common across them is they're mainly driven by success rather than the needing to rather than kind of being too ego led and needing to own the idea and going my idea is the best and i'm not willing to look at anything else and what ends up happening is over a number of weeks is you get really strong complementary teams where a commercial person has found the perfect cto for him or a domain expert has been able to bring a team around them to come up with very very strong complementary compelling teams that have got really strong team product fit for you know for, for what are the strongest ideas in the cohort so these are all pre-revenue ideas and pre-revenue uh this is you know very early stage this is very early stage i mean what 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 Antler is essentially being able to do is on a global basis institutionalize the um the, what would typically be called the friends and family round so the, the the round where your neighbor comes and knocks on your door and says hey you like investing in businesses i'm doing this would you give me 10 or 15 grand? We've been able to essentially get in at that low valuation on a very consistent basis in large volume to be able to create large diversified um, funds that give access to the most exciting returns, um, but with, with very extensive due diligence over the top. And what's the track record like being like to date, Ant? <clears throat> Very encouraging. It's, it's still relatively early days. So our Australia fund's been going for a year. The oldest Antler fund's been going for, for two years. Um, the net IRR after fees is 34% um, after, after that short amount of period of time. But, you know, it's worth saying these are all paper, paper, paper games. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the, the early validation that we look for is um, who are, how many of our companies are able to go on and raise money after Antler is invested. So let's get some validation of, of these companies. And also, um, who are the types of people that are following on? And you know, from our first cohort, which was ran from June to December last year, uh, 10 of the 13 companies have already gone on to raise further funding. Um, some of them from, from Australian VCs and, and global VCs. Um, and around the world, we're now starting to see the likes of Sequoia and Y Combinator and Founders Fund uh, backing our companies very, very early. So the, 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 the signs that Antler is able to create very high quality opportunities that the world's leading VC funds are, are wanting to support and participate early in is, is very encouraging at this stage. And I believe you're in the market with a global fund at the moment. Is that correct? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So. Um, the function of what we're doing, Antler is doing around the world, is we've created these venture generation funds in all of our locations that are backing these brand new companies at the pre-seed and the seed stage. But of course, a lot of these companies are going to on, go on to become quite substantial um, in, in size and impact around the world. Um, and we're obviously leaving a lot of opportunity on the table uh, there. So we, it's always been our vision to launch a global um, follow-on fund. And that global follow-on fund is going to participate, overlap the local funds. So start at the seed stage, but go all the way through to series C stage, um, investing in the best of the opportunities that Antler is creating 
out of a particular region um, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a global basis. So over the next five years, we're expecting to create at the grassroots pre-seed level about two and a half thousand companies that we're excited about. And this global follow-on fund is going to essentially cherry pick the best of those opportunities. Um, it's, it's quite an interesting fund and it's quite unique in um, one, the, 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 the features of this fund are different to what most other VC funds have in that we've already got, this fund has already got the pro rata rights into a huge number of opportunities. So it's not having to fight to get into, into deals, which is incredibly valuable. And that's starting to be recognized as something that's, a, you know, a necessity to have. And a, a number of the people that have either committed to this fund already or looking to commit are the likes of superannuation funds, sovereign wealth funds, large family offices, who are recognizing this huge trend that we're seeing of uh, public assets moving over to um, the private sphere. Um, this general belief that over the next investing period, whatever you want to call that, the next 10 to 20 years, that the majority of superior returns are likely to come in the private world. But of course, deploying money in a private environment is much more challenging than it is in the public environment. And having access and visibility of the pipeline of opportunities is, is as important as being able to get into the opportunities. And so we're now seeing um, a large amount of interest from these larger institutions that have typically not invested as early as where Antler is playing, largely because of lack of options to be able to do this on a, on a sizable, in a sizable um, and institutional grade way, now participating because actually owning the pipeline of opportunity coming out of Antler is as important as being able to invest in those later rounds. Wow, terrific. And what sort of terms are those people being asked to invest on in terms of a lockup period or similar or a period of illiquidity? Yeah, so um, the fund the fund is a ten year a ten year fund, um, but the the one thing that's kind of very common with Antler and these and 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 something I think that's quite attractive about these funds is they because they are hugely diversified. You're not waiting until ten years to get anything back as liquidation events occur. Money is being passed back to investors. So we typically expect that the funds invested to be returned in in years six to seven. And then on an ongoing basis, you're starting to then get really the material benefit of or the, the larger returns coming from those more mature businesses where you've got early stakes um, that, that will deliver um, in those latter years. And I take it it's a called structure, is it, Anne? It is a called structure. So we're calling the funds down over a, a five year period. Um, I believe it's about 20% a year. Okay, terrific. And the, the, the objective of the fund, what sort of IRR are you uh, aiming at? Yeah, we're targeting um, 34% plus, which is actually interestingly where we are with the local fund. So 34% plus um, and an over four, over four times return on money. And Ed, in the current environment, you talked about the four sort of big trends of interest rates, quantitative easing, cloud computing, and uh, you know younger people coming into the market without... Um, you know, the ability to finance themselves into homes. Um, what, within the technology area, what other major trends are you seeing that you're particularly excited about or, or looking to exploit? I think it's, I think it's um, 
really broad, but it's really to do with the maturation of technology, meaning that actually I think every sector is going to be um, disrupted. Um, and I guess I'll talk with a pre-COVID kind of lens and then talk about how I think that that's changed with COVID. But you know, in 2025, it's estimated there's going to be about 100 billion connected devices. And if you go back in time, it took the airline industry 50 years to reach 50 million users. And it took Pokemon Go a couple of years ago, just 19 days to get that same kind of reach yeah. and proliferation. Um, and, and I think, you know, you can look at the other examples of Lloyd's Bank. I think it took them, um, you know, a century to acquire 7 million users. And yet, you know, PayPal did that in three weeks earlier this year. So I think every, every industry, we're really going to see a huge amount of um, disruption. Um, and, and, and there's, you know, I think quantum computing and computer power and AI are very interesting sectors where that technology is going to be overlaid into business models across all, um, all sectors. And we're seeing that within Antler um, locally and globally. Um, but what we've seen that's quite interesting by, uh, with COVID is that specifically with our model, where we're looking for exceptionally talented individuals who are at the early stage of their journey, um, whether they've got an idea that's fully thought out or, or they're just starting to look at different ideas, but they're determined that they want to go and found a business and find a team, um, is that you know, there's been an explosion of available talent. Um, and that's come from two things. One is people unexpectedly make, made redundant, but also um, probably more so than, than that is actually, there's nothing quite like a global health scare to make people really question their legacy and their purpose in life and are they spending the time doing what they should be doing and what they want to be doing and we've seen a huge surge in applications all over the world to come and build businesses with Antler and then the second thing being that we know that the next two years incumbent businesses are going are cutting their innovation budgets they're really focusing on their core uh, they're slashing staff left right and center which provides a really awesome avenue and opportunity for people that do want to come out and build some of those most game-changing businesses and disruptive businesses um, to be able to launch with, with much less competition and friction over the next couple of years. So we do think that the money that is deployed by venture capital over the next two to three years is probably going to be some of the most profitable money when you look at the returns further down the line. Now, before I, I leave you and we wrap things up, Hans, you did mention quantum computing then, and uh, I think it'd be very helpful. I've always struggled to articulate to clients and similar what quantum computing is, other than saying uh, the equivalent of having an endless line of computers with an endless amount of monkeys tapping away at it. Um, can you give our listeners a, a good explanation they can understand of quantum computing and what potential changes that brings along? Sure. So... <laughs> Uh, I hope I can do it. I, I hope I can do the the uh, the question justice. But uh, look, the way that we look at about it is, if we think about it, it's it's about processing power. The way that I think about it, anyway, is about processing power. We work. We're 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 moving into a world now where um, different applications, AI, computer vision, um, are all the technology is there, but the ability and the cost to be able to process this to be able to then determine an outcome um, such that we can use these technologies um, has, has always been the barrier uh, often to these technologies. And so I'll give you an example with things like autonomous vehicles. You can imagine the amount of information that a vehicle is needing to process in terms of 
um, the, um, you know, all of the sensors that they've got in terms of understanding what's around, all around the car to make this incredibly safe. And then the sheer cost of actually processing all of that, whether you're sending it up to the cloud to process on Amazon servers or wherever you're doing this, uh, that processing power and the ability to do that is something that you can't just um, you can't just execute through laying layering you know more math calculation or mathematical calculation without affecting the technology that's ultimately processing this. And the leap into quantum computing, quantum computing is ultimately giving us monumentally greater um, ability to process these things that allow these technologies to really thrive and change the business models and the, 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 um, the businesses that we engage with today. Terrific, Anne. I think we might have uh, been squeezed a little bit on bandwidth or otherwise a few little glitches there. But look, nonetheless, that's been a very helpful introduction for our listeners and understanding of the antler opportunity that sounds very exciting on the future thank you very much for joining us inside the rope today thanks very much for having me david thank you for listening to inside the rope with david clark be sure to subscribe to this podcast on itunes you can connect with david by visiting codacapital.com Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.